0: Today we are in the second part of our series as we're just kind of looking at some of the high points of 1st Peter. And, and, and Peter wrote this letter to a bunch of Christians at a time when the Christians were being severely persecuted. It was happening uh, because of the people and the environment they lived in. It was also happening because one of the leaders, the leader at the time, Caesar Nero, he was just kind of a crazy person in general, but he hated Christians. In fact, when he burned down the city of Rome, he did that because he was crazy. He burned down the city of Rome. He decided to blame the Christians on that. So they were already being persecuted, and that just made it worse for them. So they're going through struggles and, 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 and having difficulty, even with the way they interacted with people because people looked down upon them. And, and Peter decides, I want to write to you, and I want to give you some hope. In the midst of your suffering, and throughout this letter, Peter's letting us know and reminding us. In fact, he starts off and tells us in the very first verse that you and I, as we go through suffering, no matter what we're going through in our life, that you need to know this world's not your home. That, that, that depending on the translation that, that he says, wor- that you, this world's not your own, you're a foreigner, you're a sojourner, you're a temporary resident, or the word we're using, you're an exile. And because this world is not our home, as exiles it means you and i are going to be different it means we will have different values than the world has we all have different passions we'll have different uses of our time and our resources that that you and i will be different as a parent and as a spouse and the way in which we work with others and interact with others and when we talk about being different we're not talking about being different like being an odd person yeah, we're not talking about being an oddball here. Uh, 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 we, at the place where I water ski at, we have a guy there. And his, we just refer to him as Crazy Willie. And crazy he's just odd. He's, he's different, but he's different for different stake. And I have images burned into my brain that I wish I didn't have. When I show up and he's literally, all he's wearing is his tidy whities with, 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 um, with uh, boots on up to, a, you know, waterproof boots walking into the water. I'm like, Willie, there's people coming. Why are you dressed like that? We have these annual meetings where we all get together in the spring and, and, and discuss kind of the upcoming year and all that. And, and, and I go to these meetings and, and be a part of it. And Heather hates the meetings. In fact, she doesn't want to go. But she chooses to go every single year to the meetings. And she goes for one simple reason. She hates the meetings, sitting there, listening to all, she doesn't care about all of it. She goes for one reason. Anyone want to guess? What? Crazy Willie. <laughs> That's why she goes, because she knows if she goes, this is going to be better than any comedy, any movie she'll ever see. And she goes, and sure enough, th- this year, did Willie disappoint? No, he, he busts stuff out and he says stuff and does stuff and you just never know what's going to happen with Crazy Willie. We're not talking about being different just to be odd. We're talking about having a different values in the way we live our life. But one of the biggest obstacles to fully following Jesus and being different the way God's called us to be different is we have this desire to fit in to look like everybody else, to belong to the world. The desire to fit in is strong and it starts with us at a very early age. And yet Jesus didn't call us to fit in, he called us to stand out. I think about young people, students, and you and I might laugh or, or even cry at what young people will do to fit in, right? With those around them. If, you, if you're a parent of a, of a, of a teenager, the conversations you have to have with them as they're trying to fit in. I think about the students in Ohio who it, it became kind of went wild and became kind of a crazy thing, and more and more students joined in to fit in. And they took Burt's Bees Lip Balm. Anybody, know, anybody ever use this? And they took this, and they put it on their eyelids. And they put it on their eyelids in order to get high. Yeah, you're like, whoa, and some of you are like, hey, let me try that now. (laughs) So I'm going to do that, and the rest of the message, we'll see what happens. (laughs) It's called Beezin. Why do they do that? We look at that, that's that's nuts. They do it so they can keep fitting in with everybody else around them. I think about the selfie craze today, and there's something you've maybe heard of it. It's called skywalking or rooftoping where people go up onto skyscrapers or out on the edge of cliffs or wherever the case may be to get the ultimate selfie so that they can post that. And everybody's doing this to try to fit in like everybody else. And this year, you know, someone, I mean, story upon story, but person at the Grand Canyon fell a thousand feet to their death, trying to get that ultimate selfie to fit in. We look at students and and we look at them, or if you have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews, and you know they try to dress a certain way so that they can fit in and talk a certain way. I was talking to a teacher, and they said, right now, one of the biggest crazes going on is vaping. and. And how it's become an epidemic and it's a huge problem. And now with marijuana being illegal, that's getting to be an even bigger problem than it ever was in previous generations. And people are doing this to fit in. And we look at them and say, how could you do that? And you try to talk to the kid. How could you do that? But you know what? We're the same way. We're the same way. We try to fit in. It's just different for us. Whatever your social circle is, you do what you need to do to fit in, right? If you're in a certain circle you probably should drive a certain type of vehicle, right? Because if I'm in this group of people, I need to drive this type of vehicle. In, in certain, we, we, we talk about the kids and their clothes, but we do the same thing. We walk into a store and we need to buy a simple shirt. And we walk by the shirt that's $4 to walk to the same shirt on the other side of the aisle that just has a little swoosh on it that's $35. Same shirt. One has a little swoosh or an emblem or a label or something. And we do that because of our desire to fit in. But with your own kids, what do you say to them when they're trying to fit in in all these different ways and they want you to buy them this or do this or get that for you? What are you saying to them? You know, I think one of the things you're probably telling your kids is say, you be you. You say something like that? You be who you are. Don't worry about trying to fit in. In fact, you might even encourage them to be different. You might even encourage them, you say, you don't need to do what everybody else is doing. In fact, the reality is, it's actually better to stand out. In fact, in companies, you think about in the business world with companies, it's extremely difficult to stand out. Most people just blend, companies blend in and fit in. It's difficult to stand out, but it's the key to being a successful company is to stand out. In fact, it's called looking for and finding a strategic advantage. If you're in an industry, if you can find a strategic advantage so that you can stand out, you will be more successful. As Jesus followers, the question for us is, what's our strategic advantage? What will help us be different and stand out? Not like Oddball Willie, but what will allow us to stand out in a way that we can advance the kingdom of God? What does that look like? Because God never said that we are to blend in to the things of this world, well, told by the apostle Paul in Romans chapter twelve, verse two, two, he said, "Don't copy the behaviors and the customs and the patterns of all those around you." He said, "I, I want you to let God transform you. I want to let God, I want you to let God change you, that you would be different from the world." In fact, I would suggest to you this: Why do we want to just fit in and just be normal? Who wants to be normal, anyways? When it comes to finances, Dave Ramsey says, you know what normal is? Normal's broke. That's normal today. Normal is bondage today. Normal is people living in fear more so than ever in our country. Normal is divorce. Normal is tension and sleepless nights and anxiety. Normal is hating our job and fighting with others and division man, I don't want anything to do with normal. I want to get off the normal road. Because when we get off the normal road and we get on the narrow road or the narrow path, that's where things get exciting. We see this in scripture in Matthew chapter 7. And I think about that and I'll tell you the verse in a moment, but it reminds me a couple of weeks ago I was with some of our students on a, on a backpack trip and they drove up and I was a little behind them and uh, so I showed up, and, I, and as I pull into the parking lot to park, to, I need to hustle up and get up the hill. There's a person standing there who tries to get my attention. There's no one around. We're out in the middle of nowhere. He tries to get my attention, and, and so I roll down the window, and he says, excuse me. He says, uh, my wife and baby over here, uh, we lost our keys, and I'm wondering if you can give me a, a ride five miles down the hill to get my car. See, we even had to break into our window to get the formula for our child. Now, I don't know if I'm a skeptical person. I don't know if I'm a, you know, my radar was pinging a little bit. Okay, would anybody else, if you, if that was, anybody else would be like, uh, yeah, yeah, this seems a little odd. So what do I start doing? I start trying to be friendly and asking simple questions, doing the Columbo style of, and, and so I'm asking these questions, but my whole goal is to trip them up, to see if this is real or fake or what's going on here, you know, is this going to, am I going to be the next guy on the news, you know, and I mean, really, I'm thinking all this stuff, we can't help that in the modern world, and so I'm thinking that, and after talking to them, and it maybe kind of looked legit, and the little child was kind of cute, and so, um, So I was like, all right, I'll I'll take you down the hill. And he said, well, it's actually not that way. It's this other path. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so then I try to inquire some more. And where does this go? And I'm familiar with the normal road. And, you know, it's big and wide and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, no, no, this is a smaller little road. We have to go the other direction. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be talking about this kind of thing in a couple weeks. And if I am alive, I can share the story. If I'm not, <laughs> no. So anyway, I, I, I agree. I say, sure, no problem, I'll, I'll take you there. And, I'm, I, and I really do need to get to the, to the kids, but, but I take them down five miles. And by the way, this road we went on, this little narrow road, phenomenal, amazing, best road I've ever been up. I'm like, how have I been up here so many years? I've never, never knew, known this has existed. It, the mountains were beautiful. We had uh, vistas and views that were phenomenal. Five miles, six miles, eight miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. Are you sure? Now, by the way, 15 miles like this, what that take me, ten, five minutes? Yeah, I'm, I'm up. It was 19 miles. It was almost an hour, Dano. Finally find his vehicle. Then we go back. We pass the place a couple times because it was this narrow road and all this. We get back. And I'm here and I'm alive, so it was actually legit. (laughs) Yeah. Some of you are like, good. Some of you are like, oh, man, ready to move on. But in that story, even though it helped this person out, what blew me away was this road I was on. Like, seriously, I, I, I couldn't believe, I didn't know about it. Now, the views and all that was there was the narrow road. And very few people know about it. But it was the road and that gave me just, I, I'm glad I had that experience with him. I got to know the guy who was a, um, actually a refugee from Laos. I won't go into all those details, show that another time. Um, we had a good time together talking. But it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. And he said this, he said, there's a path that's wide and broad, and most people are on that road. And that's the normal road, that's the path we take, that's, how, that's the destination, you go up to Tahoe, there's the normal path of the road. He said, but Jesus said in that passage, there's a different road, and it's narrower, the gate to get into it is, is, is smaller And he, of course, he's talking about having this amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's those who will pursue God and those who won't. And most people won't pursue God. And so he's talking about that. But he's talking about this idea. There's only a few people who are going to pursue that narrow road. There's only going to be a few people that take that. The wide road, he even says, that's going to lead you to destruction. That's not going to advance your life. It's the narrow road. That's going to give you the amazing life, the different life. But only a few people, Jesus said, figure that out. And Jesus tells us, Peter tells us, as exiles, as temporary residents to this earth, God is calling us and inviting us to this narrow road. And only a few people are actually going to figure it out. Only a few people are going to figure out that it's it's a different road. It's a call to be different. Different from the world. Having different values than the world. And I want to look at how how Peter talks about this. And look at First Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14. And he says this. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, when you were unaware. There was a time when you lacked knowledge. There was a time when you didn't know any better, but now you're in Jesus Christ. And now you know that there's a different road. There's a better road. There's a narrower road. Not the normal road, not where you blend in. And he said this in verse 15. He said, you used to live in ignorance, but now you must be holy. And I want to say one word together. You must be holy in everything you what? Everything you, everything you, one more time, everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. Then he goes on to say, for the scriptures say, you must be holy. Here's the reason why. Because I am holy. He said, be holy in all that you do. Be holy. Be different with your behavior than the rest of the world. That what you do, the way you interact, the way you live your life, what you do needs to be different than the rest of the world. And yeah, it's going to be a narrow road and a narrow path, and few people are going to figure this out. Because the normal way is just be like everybody else. He says, no, no, I want you to be different in everything you do. Be holy. And I want you to notice the text here. It says to be holy in all that you do. It does not say be happy in all that you do. And you hear that oftentimes in churches that they will talk about being holy and not happy. And the reality is it needs to be brought up time and time again because in our Western version of Christianity, people will believe that their highest purpose and highest calling is to be happy. To which some of us who who, who know this and we're not still living in ignorance, some of us say, I've already learned that. I figured that out. You know what? There's an entire false, false subset of Christianity that believes happiness is our highest calling. It's called the prosperity gospel. And there's an entire group of people out there believing who are sitting in churches who believe that God's happiness for us. That's our highest calling. But you and I, you've heard the phrase, as Jesus followers... Our highest calling is not our happiness, it's our holiness. That's what God has for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy, but the problem with being happy and that being the highest calling is we'll be happy when good things happen to us. And when good things don't happen to us, we are not happy. I got to tell you, there's something today I am not happy about. Are you sitting here today? There's some things that maybe you're not happy about. For example, for me, i, I got to tell you, I, I'm not happy right now because there's an epidemic going on in the Delfts household in the backyard. There are cats doing their business in my yard. <laughs> my yard has become the community cat litter box. And I am not happy about that. You have your things that you're not happy about, but as exiles... We're not called to be happy. It's not the highest calling. We're supposed to have an inexpressible glorious joy he told us last week. It's not about what happens in our life. And One of the biggest dangers of traveling down this God wants me happy route, above all, that that's what matters is we will actually develop this this justification meter that will inaccurately read what God really wants for our life. If, If happiness is what matters to us, we'll have this little meter that tells us, okay, here's what God wants for my life. Here's what God wants for my life. And that meter will be inaccurate. Let me explain what I mean by that. If God wants me happy, then that means I'm going to end up doing some things that are either wrong or unwise. If God wants me happy in my marriage... And if I'm not happy in my marriage, then I can justify walking out, even though I've made a covenant with that person and with God. My justification meter says I'm not happy right now, I can leave. If I'm not happy because I don't have this particular item, then I can justify getting this item. Even if that means I have to beg, borrow, or steal, or, or practically for most of us today, which is normal in our world today, go massively in debt to get that thing, that item that I want. Because I'm ha- I need to be happy, so I'm empowered to get it. After all, what's normal today, after all, I can afford the payment. That's not what God's called us to I'm dating somebody, and, and I know God values waiting to have sex until I'm married. I know that he says that's what we're called to do, but my justification meter says we're in love and we're married in our hearts. You see what happens? Happiness theology empowers you and it empowers me to justify What otherwise God has been clear is wrong or unwise. The wrong stuff, it's listed throughout the Bible, but that stuff's kind of obvious. There's unwise as well. It's why the Bible talks so much about being wise. Colossians 4 says, live wisely among those who aren't believers. Ephesians chapter 5 says, live a life of love and follow the example of Christ. And how do you do that? Verse 15 says, so be careful how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise people. And here's the other thing. When we believe that God wants us happy, if that is a greater value to us, then God actually wants us holy, to be different, to be pure. If, 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 we, if you want to be happy, suddenly things like discomfort, delay, inconvenience, suddenly those can't possibly ever be God's will in my life. And without even knowing it, we begin to worship at the altar of the false gods of comfort and money and pleasure and possessions. Why? Because we believe God is supposed to provide me what I want because I'm supposed to be happy. Peter makes it clear to you and I, as exiles, we're called to be holy above all else, above all else. Now that word holy means the word we're using different. It means to be pure. It means to be set apart. Pastor Derek talked about that in his two-week series back in May uh, about being set apart. I'd encourage you to go re-listen to that that little two-week series in light of what we're talking about today and let God kind of bring it all together for you. And I get it. I understand. It's not always easy to be different, to be holy, to be set apart, to be pure. The drift is towards being normal like everybody else, to take the normal wide path not easy to be holy. And that's why Peter even tells us, verse 14, don't slip back into the old ways. Don't slip back into those ways to satisfy our own desires, those those desires to be happy. Don't slip back. How many of you have figured out you can slip into trouble, but you never slip into righteousness? figure that out i I, people say it all the time i I, you know i kind of stumble i kind of fell into sin but i've never heard anybody say i fell into holiness i've never heard it oh you know i didn't mean to i just woke up one day and all of a sudden holiness caught up to me i slipped and now i'm perfect Never heard that. Doesn't happen that way. In fact, we have this sneaky, slimy enemy that Jesus tells us about. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this enemy has a goal, and his goal is to kill you and to steal from you and destroy you. He does not want you pursuing God. He does not want you pursuing holiness. He does not want you to be set apart. He does not want you to be pure. And so he will do the same thing to you that he did all the way back with Adam and Eve in the garden in the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 3, he said to Adam and Eve, he said, did God really say, nah, you shouldn't have that, you shouldn't do that, shouldn't touch that, shouldn't eat that. Did God really say that? And that's how he continues to attack us today. Me and you. And our normal response to his temptation, did God really say, our normal response to that is what causes us just to blend into our culture and to not be different, and to not stand out. The devil knows your issues. Did you know that? And he whispers to you, and he whispers to me, and he's very subtle, and he says, did God really say? And for you, fill in the blank, because you already know it, you're dealing with it right now. You've been struggling with it right now. There's something going on in your life right now, and he's saying, did God really say? And your justification meter, coupled with his encouragement, false encouragement, can lead you down a path of destruction, the wide road. We're called to be different. Peter said, don't slip back into the old ways. You have a new way. You have a new standard. And so I want to spend the last few moments this morning asking, what is the primary guiding principle? for every Jesus follower that truly shows us and demonstrates that we've been set apart. It's just—it's simple. It's the LLJ principle. It's the love like Jesus loved principle. Love like Jesus loved. This is what's going to set us apart and cause us to be different. And he tells us what that looks like in John 13. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, he's telling us we are to do to others what our heavenly Father through Christ has done for us. What did Jesus do? Well, we say he died on a cross for us. Let me tell you what he did. He did what is best for us. Jesus honored us by giving his life so that we could live. He did what was best for you. He honored you. And as Jesus did what was best for you and honored you, so we are called to do what is best for others and to honor others. He served us. He gave himself for us. So we as genuine Jesus followers, as exiles who are called to be different, we need to constantly ask the question, what does it look like to love like Jesus requires us to love? What does it look like What does loving like Jesus require us to do? And how does that play out in my life? I think the Apostle Paul made it real simple for us. The Apostle Paul talked about it and he said, God will always, always, always nudge you in the direction of kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's how he's going to nudge you. And so how about we just max these out? That, That loving like Jesus means we're going to have a different set of values that we're going to max these out and so i want to take the last few moments together together and give you just a couple practical super practical ways in which loving like jesus will make a difference for us i even asked a few different people i said just tell me some of the things when you think just just practically speaking if you want to, like, literally be different than the rest of the world, not just be normal, not be like Crazy Willie and, and be different for different sake, but, but, but how are you going to stand out from our world today? And consistently, as I asked multiple people, dip, these type of things came up. For example, for those of you who work outside of the home and in an environment with multiple people, you know that conversations happen every single day that do not honor other people would you agree with that every day you walk into an environment a work environment and things are being said about other people people are talking about other people employee versus employee employee versus boss boss versus employee it's going on constantly and you step into that environment each and every day and God's called us to be different to love like Jesus loves in those environments And you could do that a lot of different ways, right? Because remember, you dishonor a person that Jesus honored when he died for them. You're not doing what's best for another person when you participate. And So what does that mean? It means we're going to be different. We're not going to participate. It means sometimes it means we might even have to walk away from that environment. And when you walk away from, when people are talking and you walk away, people are going to know why you walked away. Some of you will be more bold and speak up on their behalf and You know, they're going through something, and nobody knows what's going on, and so you try to help that person and honor that person in the midst of a dishonorable conversation. There's conversation that happens constantly that is not honoring to others, and how about we don't participate in it? Along those lines, how about we stop posting our issues on social media? Isn't that a problem today from politicians to actors, to even believers. And rather than doing what Jesus said in Matthew 18, if, if you and a brother or sister are struggling, you go tell them and you work it out alone, rather than doing that, we just air it out for the whole world. And that's not honoring to them. And that's not being different. We're just being like everybody else. Actors air their issues on, online. Singers. Air their, you know, post their issues against each other online. And on and on it goes. And as we keep going down this path, how about we, God's going to nudge us towards kindness constantly, so how about we demonstrate this and we max this out? And how about you and I just say, I'm going to start demonstrating extravagant kindness. That any environment I'm in, I'm going to demonstrate extravagant kindness. This is one of the easiest, greatest ways to be different to honor those that Jesus has honored. And practically speaking, I can tell you this, when you demonstrate kindness to other people, it puts a momentary smile on their face and in their heart. And eventually, if you're in relationship with people, that will pay dividends for the kingdom of God. I I did a little experiment the other night. Wednesday night, I went out on a walk. It was 7.15. I said I would go out for an hour. So I walked from 7.15 to 8.15, Beautiful night, it was a cooler night, and, and as I went out, and I've told you this before I, when I used to run, that I'm amazed at how, how much people like don't say hi, I've told you about that if you've been here, and it kind of blows me away, and so I make it a point of saying hi to people, and so this time, I, I just kind of had this message in mind, and, and, and just trying to do some random acts of kindness, and just see what happens, so this is all I was going to do. As we were walking, and when you're walking on paths, sometimes it can be kind of scary if, if, you know, you're coming up to people and you don't know who they are and what they're about and all that. And so people kind of put their head down and kind of like don't look at you and all that kind of stuff, right? You know that. Maybe you've been that person. And, and so I made a conscious decision I was going to move out of the way, and if I was on the path, I'd step into the grass or step into the street to kind of just kind of let them know, hey, I'm not going to hurt you or do anything like that. Number one. Number two, I'm going to put up my hand and I'm going to say hi. I just want to see what happens. That's all. I just wanted to see what happens. I wasn't even going to smile. I was just going to step out of the way and say hi. No kidding. Twelve different groups of people walk, I walked by in that hour. I guess it's a popular time to walk. Twelve different groups of people. Twelve different groups of people. All, as I put up my hand and said hi, twelve different groups of people. Every single one of them looked up, made eye contact, smiled and said hi or hello back. Every single one of them. Didn't matter the race, color, creed, anything. No, didn't matter any of that. Male, female, age, none of it. Every single one of them. By just a s- simple, silly act of kindness, really? that that made a difference, yeah. But imagine doing that on a bigger scale, that you demonstrate acts of kindness in a way that changes people's lives. When no one else is being kind, we'll be extravagantly kind to others. Well, Chris, come on, Chris, that's that's great for for going on little silly walks, but that doesn't help in the business world. Oh, really? Uh, We just had the Global Leadership Summit here, and I was amazed at how many people talked about kindness. Dr. Chris Kendias said this, and he was talking about business, and he said this. He said, if you're in the business world, do not focus on profit, but focus on kindness and love, and then you can watch the profits increase. Kindness matters. Bear Grylls, one of our speakers, also, uh, he said this. He said, be kind. Kindness is what changes people. Kindness can better our world. God's calling you and I to demonstrate extravagant kindness. And I talk about this all the time. One of the ways that we can demonstrate extravagant kindness is in our relationships with each other and with those outside of this room. And it's a phrase I'll keep saying. I I don't think it's taken hold um, uh, enough, so I'll keep saying it. One of the ways you can demonstrate extravagant kindness is you give people the benefit of the doubt. You always give others the benefit of the doubt. You don't know their context. You don't know their situation. You don't know what they're going through. And even if you've been hurt, even if you're in pain, even if something looks a certain way to you, you don't know the whole picture. You don't know what's happened. So give them the benefit of the doubt and try to work it out and figure it out as a Jesus follower who demonstrates kindness that you do what's best for the other person, that you honor the person that Jesus honored by dying on the cross for them. So how about you and I? Extravagant kindness towards other people which means we choose our words carefully. I love what Luke chapter 6, verse 45 said. Jesus just, he knows us. He said, he said your words show what's in your heart. The things you and I are saying, you want to be different than the rest of the world? It's by the words you use. Being involved in those conversations, the Bible talks about gossip, slander, profanity, all that kind of stuff. You can participate in that, all that, and guess what? Be just like the rest of the world and be normal. Be normal. Or you can be set apart, you can be different, you can be pure, you can be holy. Say, I I don't go down those paths. I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm choosing carefully what I say, and I'm going to say words that bring life to people. Throughout these conversations I had with people, these type of things, and there's more, we're running out of time, so we don't have time to go through all of them. There's practical ways that you demonstrate the kindness. I love Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So here's what I'm going to ask. Because we sit here this morning and we say, okay, I get it. It's a message on being different, not being like Crazy Willie or just being like everybody else. Be different. And so the things we say, the way we act, the way we treat others are different. But is it really that big of a deal? I want you to bow your heads if you would, please. And I'd love for you to close your eyes. And I just want you to listen to what Peter told to a group of Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1 why this matters. He told you and I, so I'm just asking let, let, let the Holy Spirit move you right now in your heart. He says, so you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residence. For you know That God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. No, no. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom. God chose him as your ransom.